Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, everyone, and welcome to DevRaga Personal Finance, Episode 89. And in this episode, we will discuss the prospect theory, which is an evolution from the utility theory, which we've already discussed in the previous episode in 88. And then that'll lead on to something called the disposition effect. And I'll try and relate it to your personal finance um, towards the end of the episode. For those of you that are new to the channel, remember the aim is to educate, be empowered about personal finances, and also to be entertained. Now, just a short disclaimer, I'm not a financial advisor, I'm not an accountant, I'm not a lawyer, nor am I a financial planner. Make sure you take any financial decisions after listening to my podcast straight to your expert advisor before you make any personalized financial decisions. But if you're stuck on what to do, here are some simple steps to get you in the right track when it comes to saving, investing, and personal finance in general. In my humble view, there are five easy steps which anybody could follow. Step one is pay yourself first. That means you take 20% of your after-tax income and put it aside. That is your pay-yourself money. You should not touch that until retirement. Step two is you take that money and you invest it, ideally into something that you understand or want to understand. For me, I just invest in index funds because I understand index funds and I understand the stock market. Step three is you reinvest dividends. The power of compounding is real. When you make investments, you will get an income from that investment. When you get that income, make sure you don't cash it out, but you put it back into the investment. Step four, you repeat these steps and do it for the long term. Now, in my view, long term is not five, 10 or even 15 years. I'm talking at least 20, 30 or even 40 plus years. The longer you do it, the more powerful this becomes. And step five, my favorite, is to automate the process. The more automatic these processes are, the less likely you will forget, the less likely you'll spend the money, and the less likely that you will um, accidentally miss paying yourself first. Now, if you did these simple steps over the long term, you're more likely to have more money than you'll ever need. And remember, money is just a tool. It doesn't bring you happiness but you can use it as a tool to make your life a little bit better, but most importantly, to make the lives of people around you better. So, to the main topic, what is prospect theory? Now, this is similar to loss aversion in some respect, which I've discussed in detail in episode 43. So, it's probably worthwhile going back to revisiting this episode if you haven't done so already. The basic premise of prospect theory is, Losses and gains are valued differently, and therefore people make decisions based on perceived gains rather than perceived losses. In other words, if you have two choices that are put forward to a particular person, 
both having the same outcome, the person will choose the option which has the most perceived gain. So who came up with the prospect theory? In 1979, it was first discussed, and in 1992, it was also promoted by Amos Tversky and also Daniel Kahneman, who further developed it. And in 2002, Kahneman won the Nobel Prize for Economics. I'm not really sure what happened to the other guy, Tversky, but it only says that Daniel Kahneman won the Nobel Prize for this. Now, remembering prior to this, the main theory was the expected utility theory. That is, humans are rational and will choose the option which has the most utility to them. I discussed this extensively in the previous episode. Tversky and Kahneman proposed that losses cause a greater emotional impact on the individual than does an equivalent amount of gain. So given two choices, the individual almost always picks the option which looks better which has the most perceived gain. Now, you know, I like examples, so let's get right to it. What does this mean? And let's try and highlight this principle and theory using some examples. Suppose you're giving, um, you're, you're actually given the following choices. Option one is you get a hundred bucks straight up. Option two is you get $200, but then you lose $100. Both options end up with the same outcome the net positive gain of $100. That is, the utility of that $100 is the same. So the utility theory proposes it doesn't really matter which option you choose as the end result is the same. Remember, humans are rational, right? Well, in reality, Tversky and Kahneman proposed option one, that is to get the 100 bucks straight up, is going to be chosen more often than option two, where you gain $200 and then lose or have to let go of $100. This is likely because the pain of a loss is going to be perceived a greater problem, and the win of just getting 100 bucks is more of a perceived gain. And that's why getting a couple of hundred dollars and then losing 100 bucks, rather than just getting $100 straight up, the first option in this case, losing 100 bucks, is perceived to be a loss, and therefore the person chooses the option where you just get the $100 straight up. To sum up prospect theory, it is to say individuals prefer certain outcomes rather than uncertain outcomes, even though the end result is going to be the same. So why is prospect theory relevant in personal finance and investing? People ask me all the time, which ETF or index fund should I invest in? My answer is, it depends, and of course, I'm not a financial advisor, so I don't advise on your personal financial situation. And if you've been a long-time listener, you know that I just invest in index funds. My favorite is Vanguard. But let's look at an example where prospect theory may have come into effect during your investment decisions. And you may not have known about it. Let's look at the, let's look at the latest Vanguard ASX index fund. Its performance is as follows. In 2019, it had a great year. 23.77%. 2018, it went negative 3.06%. Now, 2018 seems like a long time away, but remember the last quarter of the academic year of 2018, uh, you know, the stock market almost fell 20%. So that basically eroded a lot of the gains in the year. So 2018 had a negative year of 3.06%. 2017 had a great year, 11.94%. 
2016 had a great year, 11.79%, and 2015, not much, 2.8%. So on and so forth, if you have a look at the last five years. The average performance over the last 10 years, ending in 2019, was around 8.3%, roughly. Now, if you went to a financial advisor, um, there's various ways that they can skin this cat. Financial Advisor 1 says the fund has performed on average 10.88% over the past three years. And Financial Advisor 2 says the fund has had above average returns in the past 10 years, but in recent years has had some declines. Because remember, in recent years, being in 2018, the decline was negative 3.06%. So now that I've put forward the two potential ways the Financial Advisor may have sold that product, which advisor is likely to be successful in selling the fund to you? The person that boasted about a three-year average performance is going to be more successful compared to the advisor who mentioned the recent declines, that is, the 2018 decline of negative 3.06%, even though in 2019 and in 2017 it had bumper years. Why is that? Well, the investor, that is you, because remember, the financial advisor is proposing this to you, the investor, Perceive the gain in the pitch in the Financial Advisor 1 story rather than the perceived loss in the pitch made by the Financial Advisor 2 story. Both for the exact same fund. So the performance over the long term hasn't really changed. It's just a way that the Financial Advisors have chosen to market the product to you, the investor. This may have swayed the way in which you invest. And that's why prospect theory is really important to understand. Now, what happens when investors face the proposition of a lose-lose situation? When faced with a risky financial choice, which is likely to lead to losses, the prospect theory also highlights this phenomenon. It's very interesting. That is, investors are risk-seeking when it comes to outcomes which are likely to lead to losses. That is about it for prospect theory. Let's move on to disposition effect, but before we completely move on, remember, prospect theory basically says people value perceived gains more than perceived losses. And when you make that investment decision, whether it be ETFs or index funds or Tesla shares or Afterpay or whatever it is, you may be, without you knowing, using this phenomenon of trying to choose something as a perceived gain rather than thinking about it as a perceived loss. So prospect theory is something that you might have actually used or might have actually done, um, and it might have predicted your behavior without you knowing about it. And hopefully the way that I've explained the Vanguard ASX 300, again, the fund hasn't changed performance in the last 10 years. That's relatively been constant. But the way that fund has been sold to you as an investor can be skinned various ways. And it really depends on which financial advisor or financial advisory services that you use and the techniques they may use in order to try and sell funds to you because ultimately they want to sell products um, so that they can make some coin out of that, um, you know, in the process of trying to help you as well. So if you understand this phenomenon, then you can speak and try to analyze data when you get that information from a third party such as a financial advisor or even when you look up websites like Vanguard or other index fund companies or beta shares, whatever it is, 
To make sure that you understand the performance over the long term is much more important than the way that you phrase the performance over the short term. So that's my little spiel on prospect theory, and hopefully you found that relatively useful. And that's an extension of utility theory and the concept of utility that we've talked about in episode 88. Now let's move on to this concept of disposition effect. And again, this is something that you may be familiar with, may have already used in your own personal finances, your investing life. And then we'll go on to talk about reverse disposition effect. Now, the disposition effect is an anomaly in behavioral finance. Usually, one would want to keep their winners and perhaps sell off their losers. But in disposition effect, investors tend to sell off their winners and tend to keep their losers. Now, this is completely counterintuitive to investing. The aim of investing is to make money, is to keep your winners. This is closely related to loss aversion as well, in a way because what this behavioural effect found was people dislike losing so much compared to liking winning. In fact, people dislike losing so much that they end up losing anyway. And that's the irony behind this whole disposition effect. So that's why as soon as they win with trades, they sell them off, but hold on to their losers, which is counterintuitive, because they accept the losses. And then they wait until it turns the corner. But of course, if it doesn't, then they stick with the losers, which is again, completely against all principles of investing. This sort of behavior was first identified and formally named by Hirsch Sheffrin and Mayer Statman. Now, I get a lot of questions about when to buy and sell stocks or investments such as index funds or property, etc. Again, I don't sell anything that I buy. I buy, I buy, I buy, and you know what? Today's Tuesday, so I'm going to buy again. So for me, it's all about buying and holding, buying and holding, irrespective of the market goes up, market comes down. I just stick with one index fund and I just keep buying. The person that sells and buys and sells and buys and trades, they may be affected by this phenomenon called disposition effect because when they buy a particular ETF or buy a particular stock or buy a particular property, they want to realize their gains as quickly as possible because it makes them feel better. So they want to sell their winners and then they hope and hang on to their losers in the hope that time will turn it around. Um, and we know that sometimes time does turn it around, like what's happened in COVID, for example, a lot of the stocks that have gone down in Feb and March have actually come up quite nicely. But in sometimes time doesn't turn things around. And that's the paradox because people tend to wait. They wait till it turns around and it kind of never does. So they've sold off their winners, but they hang on to their losers. And I'll talk about the stock momentum theory a little bit later in this episode so that you understand why that sort of behavior can be counterproductive to your investing philosophy and investing uh, life, I guess, in a way. So that's, that's disposition effect. It, does it only affect people that do stock trading? Actually, the research suggests not. It actually affects any type of investments, commodities, real estate, gold, stocks, whatever it is, they've noticed similar behavior in other forms of investing as well, which is very interesting. Is disposition effect really that irrational? 
Well, again, according to the stock market momentum, as I was just briefly alluding to, it is completely irrational. And here's why. Before we go into that, what is stock market uh, momentum? Well, the reality is stocks that have done well over the last six months continue to do well over the next six months. And stocks which have done poorly over the last six months continue to do poorly over the next six months. Now, remember, this is a generalization over a very long period of time based on research. So don't ping me on it during COVID times as some stocks have bounced back really well in a much shorter period of time. We're talking about people that have analyzed the stock market over many, many years and looked at specific stocks and tracked traders and behavior and analyzed trends. And what they've generally come up with is the stock market momentum theory. And that is that if the stock does poorly in the previous six months, it tends to do badly in the next six months. If the stock does well in the previous six months, it tends to do well in the next six months. Generalization, but stick with me here. So does this mean that the disposition effect then explains behavior which is completely the opposite of what people should be doing. Well, what people should be doing is you're listening to my podcast, and if you're listening to Devraga, remember what people really should be doing is never sell anything, buy everything, and reinvest the dividends and do it for the long term and automate it. Now that's over and done with, and I've done my little spiel. Yes, disposition effect explains people's irrational behavior. Here's another way of looking at it. Investors hate losing money, and investors love making money. To deal with their investor feelings, they sell the stocks which have made them money. This makes them feel good. So they're exhibiting risk-averse behavior. That is, it's risk-averse to sell stocks which are doing well, because the likelihood of them doing well in the not-too-distant future is high. But at the same time, they tend to hang around with their losing stocks because investors hate losing money. And if they sell it off, they will realize those losses. They can't bear this feeling. So they hang on to them more and more. They don't sell them. But we know from stock momentum theory, it's likely the stocks are going to go down further. But that's okay, because investors can't bear the thought of actually realizing their gains. And by doing this, they are exhibiting risk-taking behavior. They are gambling with their money. You might as well go to the casino or buy a lotto ticket. So that's disposition effect. And is there a way to avoid the disposition effect in general or minimize or mitigate its risk? Yes. It's a mental approach called hedonic framing. What is hedonic framing? This is a mental approach to make your gains feel stronger and your losses feel less strong. And that way, you don't feel the pain of losing money as much as you probably would have. So we're talking about people's feelings. And this is an investing personal finance podcast, which is really interesting. It's amazing how Mm. personal finance decisions can simply just come down to how you feel. It comes down to the person's feelings. It's about behavior. It's about what they do with those feelings. And that's why in personal finance, 80% is behavior. Because if those feelings affect your behavior, then you're going to change your behavior. And only 20% of personal finance and investing is knowledge. You can know as much as possible, but unless you have good habits, unless you have good financial behaviors, 
your knowledge will go to waste. Now let's use an example to highlight hedonic framing. I hope I'm pronouncing it right. Supposing you go out for dinner with family to a really nice restaurant. It's your birthday. For all Victorian listeners, as a fellow Victorian, I feel your pain. We are not allowed to visit restaurants anytime soon for birthdays, but hopefully that day will come. So hang in there. For all the other states, Victorians don't know what birthdays are because we haven't had a birthday here for over six months. Uh, so um, it's a very bad joke. Uh, but let's bear with me here. Uh, it's COVID times and I'm trying to lift everyone's spirit in Victoria, but let's bear with me. Supposing you go out for dinner with family to a really nice restaurant and the end bill comes and you notice something really interesting. The end bill itemizes the cost of each meal and next to it, it highlights the individual discount for that meal because it's your birthday. It says meal one is 15% off, meal two is 20% off, meal three is 5% off, meal four is 10% off. The total discount ends up on average being around 12.5%. Now the restaurant could have just highlighted an end discount of 12.5% at the bottom, but if they did that, the impact of it may not be as strong when compared to listing individual discounts. So in other words, the restaurant is trying to use this concept of disposition effect and donic framing and try to make you feel better about the discounts they're offering by individually mentioning each meal's discount rather than measuring a average discount at the end of the bill. That's great strategy. They're using this strategy to make you feel better. In other words, make you feel less awful about you having to spend your money because remember the business the restaurant is in the process of taking your money that's what it's in for they're providing a service they're providing a meal they want to take your money and if you're an investor you want to make money you don't want to lose money now i'm using a you know relatively simple act of going to a restaurant as an example to try and frame this so that hopefully that sort of really hits at home as to how things are framed is really really important and in fact, this is how insurance companies do it. So for example, if you have a multi-policy discount, have a look at the premiums and discounts offered next time and see if your insurance company is using hedonic framing to highlight the gains in a much more positive light when it comes to your premiums. Have a look at it. Have a look at your personal insurance statement as well. Often insurance companies use this technique to make sure that even though they're taking your money, they're trying to give you a positive feeling about it. So when it comes to losses, it's the opposite. It's better to lump them all together as one big loss, which makes the pain much less. Now, you can use a non-financial example of this sort of strategy. So if you get onto a flight and you've got a 10-hour flight or 14-hour flight, and I absolutely hate flying in the sense it's the most boring experience, um, you know, even in first class or business class, whatever it is, it's just boring. You're just sitting on this sort of thing and, you know, yeah, you can watch movies, etc. But often what I do when I get on a plane is to try and split the trip up into movies. So when I'm onto my second or third movie and I've got a 14-hour trip, it kind of makes me feel better that I've done about six hours worth of flying. Um, then I look up that map where that, you know, plane is around the world and you sort of see, okay, you're about six hours into the journey. Um, but then when I want to find out about how much more I've got another eight more hours of flying. I don't calculate the eight more hours of flying as 
four movies because that would kind of make me feel bad i just look at the map and go man that's eight hours worth of flying all in one go because it ripping off the band-aid all at once just makes me feel less bad uh, whereas splitting up the trip into multiple movies makes me feel more good so that's a sort of a non-financial example of how people can split things up um, where the perceived gains are split up into little chunks so they're more palatable and they feel more good as opposed to the perceived losses, which can be just taken off all at once and realized all at once. And it just all done in one go and it doesn't hurt as much like ripping off a Band-Aid. So I guess, you know, let's use another example, perhaps using some stocks. Um, suppose you log into your stock portfolio. It's listed by stock. If you, if you have an overall gain, it's better to mentally count the gain into how much each stock has gained. And if it's an overall loss, it's better to add up all the losses and make it into just one loss. And that sort of minimizes the um, effect of the disposition effect, essentially, using this sort of framing technique. Now, is there such a thing as reverse disposition effect? Well, yes, where you sell off all your losses uh, and you keep your winners. And in fact, that's what most people kind of should be doing. Um, well most people really shouldn't be selling off anything. They should just keep buying of good things and just keep it forever, etc. But, you know, the reverse disposition effect is basically selling off bad stocks or bad investments so that all the good investments are kept in your portfolio and they grow over time because over the long run, hopefully, they'll just make you more money. That's about it for this episode, Prospect Theory and Disposition Effect. Thank you very much for questions, likes, and comments. Um, getting a fair bit of questions on Facebook private messaging and of course all of it's confidential unless you want me to or you're happy for me to share on the podcast de-identified of course to let me know remember to like Devraga Facebook page shout out to questions and comments and topic suggestions share this channel with family and friends on Anchor app, CastBox app, Spotify, Google Podcast, Player FM or devraga.com and remember always pay yourself first take that 20 percent of after-tax income and put it aside and keep investing and automate it and do it for the long run behavioral finance is a huge topic in itself and learning more about loss aversion utility theory prospect theory disposition effect is an important step towards defeating bad behaviors when it comes to financial decisions the relatively dry topics and hopefully i've tried to make them as interesting as possibly can and this is Devraka Personal Finance, episode 89. As always, please stay safe. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.